Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our 46th Greenshaw Learning, Tru- Greenshaw Learning Club book club session, um, where we are thrilled to be joined by Robin McPherson. My name's Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name's Dave Tushingham, and today we're going to be reading The Teaching Life, Professional Learning and Career Progression by Kate Jones and Robin McPherson. Uh, so let's get stuck in. Oh, it is it is so brilliant to have you all this afternoon. I'm going to, Robin, I'm going to uh, introduce just a small amount about you. I mean, it, just how much you've done is simply incredible. And also I'll be mentioning our other panel members as well. And then Dave will be over to you for your bit. So, so Robin, you've written this cracking book with Kate Jones, but there are so many other things that you've done as well. Um, you've, you've flown up from London for a start today to be able to join us. And you're just talking about um, sessions that you've run in Geneva, et cetera. Such a such an incredible CV. Um, you've been a head of college. Uh, uh, you've been an examiner. You've written books. You've done educational events. You've been involved in festivals of education. A board member of charities. Um, and above, uh, in and amongst all of that, you have a website and you tweet as well at um, at Robin underscore MACP, where you do, where you share an awful lot through that as well as being on LinkedIn and everything else. And there's so much that you do with your time and so much that you that you give and you share um, um, with your colleagues in your wider profession. And we, we are so hugely appreciative of that, especially, for example, you. You, you sharing your time with us this afternoon. And, um, and, and I really like the section that we're looking at this afternoon because it's one we haven't talked about and Dave will talk about that a lot more. And I, and I know it's, it's one of those areas that I really like to have had that opportunity to read what somebody has written about and, and says about it beforehand because it can be quite a taboo area um, when we're actually being open and talking about it. So thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. We also have Charlotte Cavill. Um, she is, she's from one of our Greenshaw Learning Trust schools and Charlotte did the takeaway for when we had Kate Jones on with us for retrieval practice last year. So it was absolutely brilliant to have you back, Charlotte. And we have Craig Follett, who is currently Vice Principal at Stoke Damerel Community College down in Plymouth, another Greenshaw school, and will be head of school in September. So we've got um, different, different experiences on the panel with regards to the section that we'll be focusing on today and, and what we'll be talking about. So it's really nice to have all of, the, all of those different experiences. And, and perspectives from that point. So Dave, I've alluded to it a little bit, but I'm handing over to you now because it's a really good section you've picked for us today. Oh, thank you. And, uh, and just thank you, Robin, for joining us. Um, we are so grateful for your time and to be able to pick your brains a little bit about um, what this means for us in the classroom and, and in our um, in our teaching life, because I think um, the title of the book sort of said it all for me and, and just grabbed me straight away that um, we quite often focus on particular aspects um, of, of our teaching life um, and, and lots of the aspects um, maybe get missed or maybe you don't get trained um, as well. And we talked to Angela Brown about um, parental conversations um, and, and how we, we maybe go into those um, and we don't prepare in the same way as we would for a lesson. And um, and it's just um, sort of really opened my eyes to some of the 
the sort of um, the aspects of of teaching, which maybe I know that I do, but I, I don't explicitly um, think about day to day. Um, I really like the section about early careers teachers and giving advice um, to early careers teachers about um, sort of what they can do to progress quickly and, and what they need and, and asking for support and and just um, just it just gives. Um, a really sort of you know a, a big picture um, view of what um, of what goes on in teaching. It talks about um, in different parts of the UK um, how that might look um, different for early careers teachers, and um, and I just really like um, how inclusive um, the whole book is um, in in every aspect. Um, the the part that we're looking at particularly today is about career progression, but we will sort of digress from that and look at other other things as well. Um, the idea that maybe the route of um, assistant principal principal um, isn't necessarily the only route um, for progressing your career and um, doing something like this um, in terms of a book club has been something which I think has been one of my sort of biggest career progressions um, without it being something I've interviewed for um, it's not a formal promotion but I've got so much out of that and wanted to explore that more but the book offers so much more than that it offers um, those um, different places that we might look for resources like Twitter and LinkedIn the social media it offers um, just advice about um, what research really is and, and the benefits of that, but also the limitations. And um, a great quote from Bradley Bush that's in the book about, um, I think it says um, revision is like, um, is it the light bulb? I think he said, I'm trying to remember the quote now, but um, the idea that, that it, we do need to sort of use our, our judgment and we do need to um, be thinking about those complex decisions we make every day. But this research really helps to inform that. Um, it's not binary. Yes, this is the best way to do things. And um, and, and it just just reading it just really, really helped me to reframe what I think about the role that I do um, and hopefully become just that little bit better. So just thank you so much for yourself and for Kate for, for writing the book. Um, it's been a, a, a wonderful um, read and, and really helped us already. Um, but we're looking forward to hearing a little bit more from you and, and to sort of your thoughts behind the book, where it's come from, um, anything that I'm missing in that, anything that you wanted to add, uh, because people want to hear from you, not from me, I'm sure. Thanks very much, and for that lovely introduction. Uh, it's such an honour to be asked to do things like this. I think when I, I first wrote a book with Carl Hendrick, we genuinely thought no one would pay any attention, um, because who in the right mind wants to read books about education research? But uh, you know, it turns out there is an appetite for that, and that was really refreshing, because you know, teachers do want to, to learn more about what they do. They are intellectually curious about becoming better teachers. It's the the Dylan William quote that we, you know, we use in the book, and it's been used in so many different talks and settings that you know t all teachers need to improve, not because they're not good enough, but because we can always get better. You know, it's not an exact science; it's not perfect, and there is no such thing as teaching perfection. So, we need to kind of keep on trying to improve what we do. And also, I just think education is not static. Schools are not static. Uh, we talked a lot uh, at my school uh, at the start of this term when we could finally get everyone back together in a room and, and do a session together that in the last couple of years, as well as, as COVID, there've been massive changes in society that change up what we have to do to prepare our pupils for the world that they're gonna go into. So Black Lives Matter, Me Too, COP26, all these things mean that the curriculum has to evolve and change and our, our pedagogy probably has to evolve and change with that. So getting across that idea about progression is just about whoever you are, if you're teaching kids, you've got to keep on moving forward with your practice so that you're always being the best teacher that, that you possibly can be. And I think it's, uh, I've, I've been in education for 20 years. So I'm, and I'm a head teacher now, I started out as a history teacher and 
the first 10 years of my career, I wasn't really encouraged to read anything. And, you know, things like Twitter and LinkedIn weren't around. So uh, in the last 10 years, I think it's changed up so much. There are so many more opportunities that uh, as we, we quote the tweet from Carl Hendrick at the beginning of the book that his view is that we're living in a golden age of professional learning. And, and that's a really interesting claim because, you know, Becky Allen then introduced, uh, introduces a bit of realism to that saying that, well, yes, there's a lot out there, but actually teachers don't have enough time to engage with it. And that what is being offered, a lot of it isn't high quality. So we might actually be wasting a lot of our time on things that are not really making us better practitioners. So there, there's a lot to unpack in all of that. And I'm happy to, to delve into that if it's useful for this session. But I think another contention that might be worth reflecting on is just that Teachers, I don't think, and I'm happy to stand corrected on this, but teachers, I don't think, are great at career planning. We're just not kind of built that way. Uh, you know, we're, we're not like our, our friends from uni who went off into, you know, the private sector or banking or whatever that are, are a bit more kind of ruthless about that. We're constantly putting other people first. It's the, what I sometimes call the bag and the bus syndrome. This was a, a, a football trip that I took to Italy like about 15 years ago or something. And I, it was my first time I'd taken like kids abroad on a sports trip. So I was ruthlessly planning everything. I had my tick list, everything else. Um, all the kit on the bus, did we have the bibs? Did we have the balls? Did we have the kit? You know, is everybody there? We all got our passports. Got on the bus like about four in the morning to get go to the airport. Get to the airport, realize I hadn't put my own flipping bag on the bus, and like everyone else had everything, but I had nothing. So I had to call a mate of mine, who had to like go to my flat, get my bag, and then come to the airport. And he literally pulled up from the airport and threw it at me out the window, and like sped off, and, like didn't talk to me again. So I got him out of bed on like the first day of what should have been Easter holidays. So it is that you know kind of bag on the bus issue of you're so busy looking after everybody else in your own life, in your own career that. Don't stop to think necessarily, but what's my next step? What's the right thing for me? And Kate and I talked about this at length because initially the book was meant to be about professional learning and changes in professional learning, but it became more about actually how do we use professional learning for our own development so that we're in control of our career? Because we do believe that if teachers are in the right job at the right school, feeling challenged, feeling valued, then a lot of your concerns around well-being kind of melt away. I wouldn't say they're all going to be fixed, but a lot of the frustration that we have professionally is from perhaps not being challenged in the right way or being overloaded workload-wise or doing work that we don't really enjoy. So if you can make the right career steps through effective professional learning, then you can take much more control over what's going on. In other words, agency, a word we use a lot. I think teachers being in control is, is what agency is fundamentally about. So. That's all tough. No, you know, none of that's easy. And it's why things like mentoring and coaching and sponsorship are really important. And we wanted to dive into some of those areas to think about how those work and how people can access them more easily so that you know, they're, they're professionally more happier, which will make them personally more happier. And that's got benefits for everyone. It's got benefits for your family, for your pupils, yourself. You know, lots of good things can happen from that. Uh, so I think that's absolutely um, spot on to, to what I've taken away from the book. Um, and it's really helped me to reflect a little bit more about what I want out of my career and, and, and how how I could go about um, sort of progressing and, and where to look. And um, there's so many ideas um, in this book. I don't know if you've got any advice on sort of how you go um, through that journey of, of selecting which piece of information are going to be 
um, the piece of information that are going to help you make those decisions. Um, when I'm reading this book, just being a governor, becoming a writer, um, all of these things are, are things that I've gone with. Yeah, no, that fits me. I'm not sure if that fits my lifestyle at the moment. I've got a young family. Maybe I'm not going to do that one, but I could um, work um, asynchronous and I could go on and do a little um, bit of blogging or a little bit of writing. And, and maybe that's the route for me or, um, or you know, it's there's just so many other ideas being an examiner. Um, it just helped me to reflect and go, well, what am I, what's my skill set? What do I want to do? Um, and then there, there have been occasions then where I thought, well, where am I going to look for that advice? And the book then just also, also offers some of that. But how do you, how do you go and make that decision? Um, it, it's something that I'm questioning now. How can I support other people to do it? I didn't know if you got any advice on, on sort of how, how you go about that now that you've got some more of this information in this book. Yeah, so one of the things that um, is a useful exercise for people to do, just a practical thing that we talk about is, update your CV every year. Do that as a sort of starting point and think about what is it you've achieved in the last year that you need to update. You know, as you're progressing and you're you're getting more things done in, in professional learning and in your day job, there should be kind of older content or less relevant content that falls off the CV. You don't want your CV to be more than two pages. I, the longest CV anyone's ever given me was 11 pages. And I was like, whoa, you really need to boil this down because no one's going to read all of that. So keep it, you know, punchy to about two pages to give a, an accurate synopsis of everything you've achieved. And if you, you look at that and you haven't really got anything to add to it, you've got to ask yourself, are you, are you really doing the right kind of professional learning for you? If that means you spend your summer having looked at your CV and thinking about, okay, well, what have I done in my career so far? What do I want to do next? You can start thinking about, well, what is the right move for me? Do I, am I a one school person. I don't want to change my, my role. I want to be a classroom teacher at the same school. I love the community. You know, my whole life is here. Great. I'm going to be at that school all the way through. That's absolutely fine. But there'll be others who might think, well, I love the school, but I actually feel like I'm getting a little bit stale. I, I need to freshen this up, take on a new challenge. That might be, you know, running a new activity or it might be going for a leadership role, whatever. But just to try, I, I, I wasn't the sort of person that always felt I needed to add something new every year because otherwise I, I would get a bit stale. I also get bored easily, so that's kind of why I do all the things that I do, is that you know I'm also terrible at not being able to say no to interesting projects. And I, kind of the more you do, the more you get offered. So um, if you can think about what it is you want to get out of the next, however long, you know, what's your time frame? Is it two, three, five years? Doesn't really matter, but decide that. And try and think ahead. Where do I want to be at that point? And what professional learning am I going to need to do to help that happen? And a key part of good professional learning is having a good professional network. And that's the bit that I consciously decided that I, I was useless at. I mean, as I say, my first 10 years of my career, I didn't build a professional network at all. It extended to people that I knew that I had worked with. And that was it. It was just the people that I'd met in the schools I'd been at. So I started to think as you know, things like Twitter were becoming you know, a thing that I need to build up my professional network. I need to know what's going on in the wider world of education. I want to know more about policy. I want to know what happens in other places. I want to get new ideas. And that was a, a big turning point for me personally because I find it really interesting. And I sort of stumbled in a way into doing teacher training um, simply because I'd, I'd applied for a post that I didn't get. But my head at the time had said, well, look, you're not quite ready for this role, but I need somebody to run ITT. And are you interested? And I was the head of department at the time. Never thought about doing that, but immediately said yes, because I thought if I don't say yes, you might not consider me for another post in the future. So went away and thought, God, what have I just signed up for? And it turned out to be absolutely brilliant. I, I loved it and found that, uh, you know, working with teachers, teaching teachers, is every bit as satisfying and challenging as teaching children, 
and it took my career in a totally different path. So it wasn't something I planned for at all. And in retrospect, I really should have done. Um, I've taken too many big career moves that were an absolute leap of faith. And no one should really be doing that, to be honest. Um, I moved abroad, having never been to the country that I moved to, without any idea of what the school was going to be about, other than the interview. Um, you know, and, and when we got there, discovered the school hadn't even been built. It was ridiculous. Like we didn't open for the first five weeks because it was still a building site, and it was just you know really kind of flying by the seat of your pants type stuff. That um, you know I, I'm not a risk averse person by and large, uh, which I know is probably a bit odd for a head teacher to say that. But um, you know I, I, it does mean that when I reflect on some of the biggest moves I've made in my career, they weren't informed moves. And I think that's the first thing I would kind of say to people is that and, and we, we talk about it a lot in the book. You know, do your homework, do your research. And if you're planning your professional learning around the direction you want to go in, there's two things there. One is, is making sure you're doing the professional learning that helps prepare you for the role that you really want to do or the, the progression you want to make. And the other is actually working on the things that you're not good at. Because a lot of us choose to do professional learning around stuff that we're already pretty good at or quite knowledgeable about. So we want to go to a higher level of expertise with it. And we, we sometimes dodge the things that just... We might not even know, but we maybe we do know it's it's not a strength, but we don't we were a bit put off by getting involved in it. So reflecting on another really good bit of advice I had from a, a guy who was a senior deputy head at a school I worked at when I was looking to move from middle into senior leadership, I saw a job that I really like look of. It's my hometown, and I said to him, "Look, I'm I'm thinking of changing it up, and you know I, I want to move to school. I think it's time to move on. Need a new challenge." what do you think about this job? And he looked at it and, well, I, I said to him, what do you think of this job? Because it's all the things I'm really interested in. And he said, don't do that job. He said, you could easily do that job. You need to do something different. If you want to be a senior leader in a the school, there's lots of things you don't know anything about. You need a job that will force you to do those things. So a year later, when another job came up, I went to him with it and said, okay, how about this one? He said, good, because it's got HR. You don't have enough experience of that. It's got GDPR, which at the time was a new thing. He said, that'll be a really good thing for you to know because it's going to be really important. He's the first person that said to me, that's going to be important. And everyone else is like, yeah, whatever, GDPR, don't care. Don't even remember the acronym. Um, and uh, what else have I had? Uh, digital strategy, which again, you know, I, I was comfortable with ed tech, but I'd never led on digital strategy. That was a big part. Health and safety. I was a health and safety officer for the school. Definitely didn't know a lot about that. So I, I had to go on this really, really steep learning curve to learn all of those things. And now I look on it as a head teacher. If I hadn't done that, there's no way I'd be a head teacher now. And, and although I did my headship qualifications that I think was light touch in those areas, I was so much better prepared for, for having taken it on in a deputy head post that honestly, I never would have gone for had I just stuck to, right, the promotion I'm going to go for is going to be the one that I already know a lot about or that I'm prepared for. So it, it was that kind of getting that better advice as I advanced kind of through my career was really invaluable and I think that's what I mean about professional learning networks you know make sure you've got that group of people around you who are your confidence your your advisors the people you can bounce ideas off that you can say hey I've seen something interesting what do you think is that for me um, so that you're you're making those informed decisions I think I, I didn't have enough good advice early on in my career I had some good advice but it wasn't around it was how to get me the advice I had was how to get me from day to day week to week um, and get better at the job I was immediately doing, but it wasn't thinking longer term than that, and it was definitely wasn't thinking beyond the school I was in when I decided that I wanted to move on and get a different experience. I didn't have anyone really that could help me with that, so I don't think any teacher should really be in that position. You do want to be able to make those informed moves because it's 
massive upheaval, especially if you've got family. I've, I've got two young daughters and uh, my wife and I always kind of make moves based on what's, what's right for our family. But, you know, when I was younger, it's, it wasn't a consideration. So it was easy to make those kind of like silly, ridiculous moves. But you've got to, you've got to plan very carefully everything that you do to make sure you don't overload yourself because it's so easy for us to do that. Thanks, Robin. That, that's there were so many things in there that were really helpful to hear because of that that perspective and and, and, and on your experience and also that that resonated as well. I I, I worked. I, I'm quite risk averse. <laughs> I stayed in the same school for 15 years, <laughs> um, and I made progression within that. And I think, but I also didn't have other people suggesting to me outside of my immediate community different mm. options different considerations a diversity of thinking or ideas or i was i was quite contained within that one school and i found i, I lost I, I just didn't have any inspiration or ideas to as if to what to do next and, and now I work for the Greenshaw Learning Trust which is so very different um, and so a lot of what I did it, it was I think what you mentioned earlier is we, we're not very good at supporting ourselves with those next steps I certainly wasn't for me it was just a case of well if, does somebody think I could do that job rather than me feeling like I had done the work and been proactive that I can do it and be prepared for it. And so a number of the number of the promotions maybe that I'd had, they were all in, in sort of internal promotions because I was still at the same school. And then for me, changing schools to go somewhere else was for an external role. That was also very different. And I, I think sometimes, as in what you said about, um, you, you only thought about a role when a colleague mentioned it to you, then, that's interesting because would you have thought about it in the same way? You mentioned sometimes you, you took steps that were maybe a little bit a little bit larger than you might have thought. And and so what I'm here is is linking that up and, and segueing into bringing you in as well, Craig, because I know that you've looked um, a, a little bit about this area and as a, as a vice principal of a school that's been that's done some absolutely brilliant work for its community and is growing and with the recruitment level that we've been at recently, you've got quite a lot of experience on the sort of interviewing people and internal and external candidates and all sorts of things. So I thought I'd bring you in if that's okay, because I know you'd like to talk to Robin as yeah, well. Yeah, no, great. Thanks, Rhiannon. Um, I, I think there was so much to take from, um, from the chapter, Robin, and some of it, when I read it, I thought, that's so obvious. But at the same time, I, it's never really crossed my mind before uh, that. And there's a few bits, I think, which which jumped out at me. The first one was around internal applicants in particular and how many times there's a, there's a teacher who's a great teacher and a senior leaders, when that promotional opportunity comes up and you think, do you know what, they? I think they'd be really good at it. And you go and you sow the seed uh, and then they get into that role and actually they really start to struggle because they were a great classroom teacher and that was what they were most passionate about and that's what they wanted to do. And by me mentioning that job to them, have I almost made them think, oh, I best mm -hmm. apply for that. I, you know, I, I'm being I'm being encouraged to apply and, and it might not be something they're actually that interested in doing and they were, they were happy where they were, but they then feel like they ought to. Um, and subsequently get themselves into a job where they then start to, to struggle. So I think for me, one thing I've sort of taken right away was 
if I ever do have those conversations about you know pr progression for staff, actually, it, it's how it's worded and how it and how that conversation needs to come across as not putting pressure on them by any stretch. Just saying, you know, are there some developmental opportunities that you'd be interested in? Where do you see your career in the future? Is there anything that I can support with? As opposed to, oh, I think you'd be, I think you'd be really good at that job, and in their mind, them think that they should then. Um, that they should then go and apply for it. Um, uh, something else, I mean, somebody just said just a minute ago, professional learning um, and doing it at things that we're not very good at. I, I've written it down and I've just thought, I tell the students all the time, revise the things that you can't do. You know, actually don't, don't revise something that you're already good at because that's not going to get you any extra money. Um, and then I've just reflected on all of the books that I'm reading at the moment and they're all curriculum focused which is probably my strength and the area that I lead in across the school. I'm doing all of the things that I'm telling the students not to do. Um, but I, I know you need the balance, but actually I, I'm going to go away and read something on what I know is my, um, my weak area. I'm going to find a book tonight out of principle just to make sure I'm doing, doing the right things there. Um, and I suppose the other bits that I really took from the chapter, um, and I'm going to recommend that any uh, teacher or um, trainee teacher that we have actually goes away and, and spends some time reading this before they consider either applying for promotion or for um, or, or for, for teaching jobs in general uh, around you know questions that you ask at the end of at the end of the interview only ask a question if it's pertinent and, and not been answered I've been on so many teaching um, panels this year and so many times the, the question's been asked which is plastered all over our website already or a question that you know has been answered throughout the day. You know, you've been on a tour, you've seen this, you know the answer. Um, yeah, I get inundated with sort of five or six questions just because they feel like they should ask one. Mm. Um, I, 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 I wrote it down, and I think you um, you alluded to it um, within that chat of actually, if, if the questions that you've had written down have been answered, actually say exactly that. Well, I have had some, but I, I picked up the answers from, from the fantastic tour that I've had and from the website, which was really informative. And actually, that's probably more powerful in that interview than asking a question that should have already should have already been answered. And as head uh, head of school vice principal, we know's already already cropped up. And the other one, uh, and again, a bit tug in cheek, but at the same time, write your letter from scratch. So mm. many applications I've read this year have had different schools' names on or you know, cut, slap dash cut and paste. Answer. Yeah. And it's such an easy mistake, isn't it? Um, but it's because, you know, you, you've taken that previous letter. And I know some of it's going to say, but actually by starting it from scratch, um, you'll really uh, tailor that letter um, to the school. Uh, and I just think, uh, you know, some perhaps credible candidates have not been given interviews based on that because no head teacher in the country wants to invite somebody to interviews who's, um, <laughs> who's sent out that, those, those generic ones because actually you want to feel that your school's special to that person. And they really want to come and work um, for your community. So I, I think there were some bits I, I wholeheartedly recommend this this book, and in particular that chapter that I've read there uh, for anyone applying for, for jobs moving forwards. Yeah, thank you. There's got so many interesting reflections there. And um, firstly, kind of the ethics around, as you say, suggesting roles to other people or or being a sponsor. And you know, I, I didn't really read about sponsorship until quite recently. You read a lot about mentoring and coaching. We all know what those things are, but Actually, when I look back on my career, I, I thought I've had so many sponsors and I didn't even realize that maybe they didn't even realize that they were they were being sponsored, but they were advocating on my behalf and they were they were challenging me. And, and that was great. It wasn't something that I sought out, but they, you know, 
cup of coffee in the staff room and there you go. And one of the things that I'm personally very proud of is that in all but one of my leadership posts, and I've had quite a few, um, the successor has been somebody that I've sponsored. Um, so it's people I've kind of said, like, okay, well, I had two deputy heads in, or deputy heads of department when I was a head of history in two different schools. And both times I, I encouraged somebody to step up and take a bit of responsibility to the department. And then they successfully interviewed against the external candidates to take my job when I left. Um, and ditto with um, being a deputy head. Again, that was somebody that I've, I've been working with a little bit in an unofficial capacity who beat a really strong field of external cap applicants to, to get the role. So you, you are encouraging people. You've got to make sure that you, as you say, you're not doing it or, or putting people in a position where they feel they're doing it out of loyalty to you or actually they're not really up for it. So you've got to think quite carefully when you're encouraging someone to do it in the right way at, at the right time, absolutely. And yeah, for, for applications, um, you know, Kate and I ended up having long discussions about, uh, you know, what's it like, pros and cons of being the internal candidate and the external candidate, what advice do we give? Um, I think, personally, this is a personal take, I don't put a lot of stock in people's application letters because they, they do read in a sort of fairly generic way. And as you say, you can spot the, the ones that have been rehashed many times over quite straight away. Um, so I look a bit more at the CV. I'm always interested in the narrative around, you know, someone's career and the, their interests and who they are. I think that's always quite interesting. So CVs, I look at very carefully. I will read the letters of application, but I don't feel like I get a good sense of the person. Uh, one of the things that I, I've started doing uh, with sort of senior roles in, in my school, and it's becoming more common elsewhere, is, is a video application and video CVs. And I know from, um, we recruited a, we're a three to 18 school, so we've got a, a sort of junior and senior section, and they each have their own heads of school. Um, so we recruited a new head of senior school um, in my first year and a new deputy head. So they both had to do these video applications. Two minutes, why do you want the job? And that was fascinating. They both said it was incredibly difficult, much easier to do the sit down, write a letter. We could all bang that one out in, in no time at all. But actually to think about what you're going to say in a two minute video, it's probably about 300 words tops. So you've got to get your text right and then you've got to deliver it. And we saw some really variable stuff that, that came in from people who just were so uncomfortable being in front of a camera. But I thought it was important because, well, one, I was getting a more authentic sense of who the person was. And also, you know, this, this was during, you know, the first year of the pandemic. It was so important that people were able to deliver on screen in a way that it wasn't before. It was a new skill set. So I wanted to know my senior leaders that they would be comfortable in that space. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, um, we learned a lot from doing it. And I think that will become far more normal. You will see more people asking for video CVs or, you know, I, I, I got the idea from a friend of mine who worked in Saudi Arabia who's, who said a couple of years ago that he was asked to do that for jobs in the Middle East, mainly so they could cut down on the amount they were, that the schools were spending on flying people in for, for interviews. They, they'd rather see a bit of online first. So that was something that actually began pre-pandemic, but you'll see a lot more of coming forward. And then, yeah, when you're there, I think one of the best bits of advice I could give is that from the moment you arrive at a school to be interviewed to the moment you leave, you're being interviewed. Absolutely. It's it's not just about what happens when you're sitting down in a room with a person and firing questions at you. It's that first contact with the receptionist or, you know, whoever's on duty at the school gate when you walk in and say hello. I, I had it this week. I had somebody came in and said hello to me. At, I was on gate duty and someone came up and said, oh, I'm, I'm here for interview. Uh, where do I go? 
and they didn't I hadn't clocked who I was so um, I just had a quick chat with them and explained where to go and led them up and it was only when I was, we were halfway down the, the drive that they, they kind of realized I was the head teacher but already I'd had a really favorable impression of them because they presented themselves really well they were polite they were well-mannered they, they, they seemed quite calm and relaxed it was like yeah great it seems like nice we're getting candidates like this coming in so and um, I see certainly I have seen and been up against a lot of people before who are just like rude when they arrive and the ego comes across and everything else and then they're very nice and very personal in the interview room and then they come out again and you know revert to their real selves and and all of that counts when you're doing the wash-up meeting at the end of the day it's you, you do chat to everybody you know say to the receptionist what do you think of the field today who, who struck you as being nice and you get that holistic picture and yeah definitely questions and i think it is good to have go in with some questions and if they get answered brilliant don't feel that you you have to ask questions I, you know definitely don't do that but you know you if you if you really do have something that you need to know or you want to know then that's your chance i always feel a little bit when we ask people at the end you know do you have any questions like no not really i, I get a bit of a sense of they're not that interested or that they've just approached this as yet another interview that they might have had that you know they're not going to get through so um, but if they do say yeah i, I had questions all in, all answered today thanks very much great i do think that okay well there's that spark of curiosity that level of interest which is a good thing and we write as well about uh, a closer which um you know I, I was told about by a friend because he, he said to me that his his brother um he and his brother both kind of have done pretty well in their careers but he said my brother's been promoted to a ridiculous level in as, as a civil servant and he always gets the next job because he's brilliant at interviews even though he's actually not necessarily brilliant at his job he's been perfectly honest with me he said because he's great at doing a closer so he always does well in the interview because of that and so he explained to me what it was and, and i used it and it seemed to work it is just rounding it off in the same way that you'd write a really good conclusion to an essay where it's that moment where kind of people suggest okay well if we offer you the job would you take it you know you want to to really hammer home the point that said, yeah, I've, I've love the school, love the job, this looks great. If you offered it to me, yeah, I'd totally take it. Thank you very much, really enjoyed the experience. You know, finish it off on a high, and uh, it leave, it, it's leaving the last impression. The first impression, yeah, it's important. It's that last impression, I think, that probably counts for even more. Quite a lot in all of that, I hope it's useful. <laughs> no, it's it's fantastic, and I suppose um, what I'm thinking there is i'm linking it that um where you said about that closer and i was thinking okay it's to me it sounds like i would sit down and practice and rehearse that so it just rolls off my tongue and i don't worry about it too much and then if it, you know it'll feel more natural and i'll remember to say it and adam boxer tweeted the other day about giving feedback to people when they haven't been successful in a role and how important that is and he shared the script he uses and I just thought that was brilliant because he's put yeah, that really time good. and effort into just that short script to make sure that it's respectful and it contains the important information just for that, as you say, the closer for that aspect. That's what um, I was, I suppose he uses then for when he's giving feedback to staff. And I think, no, it is important because every single word that you use counts. And, and you're then making sure that you're consistent and you're fair and you're you're more considered in in the words that you're using at the same time um because you know if you're somebody like me for example um i know that i can i can do a job if you give me a job to do i'll go away i'll find out about it and i'll do a really good job of it but if you ask me to sit down at an interview i know that there will be so many other people who will be better at interview than me and isn't that a shame that i think well i might do i'll do a really good job of it 
but I might not interview as well as somebody else. So yeah. how do you get better at that? Yeah, I think one of the, the really important things for everyone listening to this to know is that, you know, to get any post that you're going for, you have got to, number one, convince that you're capable of doing the job, and number two, be the best candidate out of the field. And most people don't get the number two bit. They assume that if they've been turned down, it's because it's a negative thing that they, they've not up to doing the job. Almost every time we, we advertise for a teaching job or a leadership job, we will have more than one person who is a really good fit for the job and would do it really well. And then you've got that luxury of saying, right, we've interviewed eight people. We've got three that we think are really fantastic. Which one of the three gets it? And I would say as well to you know anyone who's, who's in a, a position where you are doing recruitment, if there's candidates there that you really value and you didn't have a post for them, you know, keep in touch and actually you know offer them that bit of ongoing support and mentoring. I think I've probably done that with four or five people over the last 12 months and really pleased to see that um, almost all of them have gone on to get a job that they're really happy with. And, you know, you, it, it can be the start of a relationship. It's a bit odd to say that, okay, I've, you've interviewed and I'm not going to give you a job, but I can see you're talented and, you know, keep in touch, email me, give, you know, I'm happy to give you some advice or, you know, contact me through Twitter and LinkedIn. And it helps them build up a bit of a professional network too. And then you can give them advice. They, they often come back, you know, six months later and say, hey, you remember me? I'm having a go at this. Have you got any advice? And then, you know, it takes, what, two, three minutes of your time probably to reply in an email, but it can make a big difference to them. So just encouraging talented people who might not have got the job that time around, but you know, further down the line, they're going to do great things. You know, keep their morale up. You know, try and look after the ones that don't get the post, and be be honest with the people that fail on the, that first of the two things I said there. If they're not up to doing the job, or it's not the right job for them, you've got to be honest about them because they could waste the next you know five years applying again and again and again for posts and have umpteen rejections and uh, it's not fair uh, you know point them in the right direction um, and sometimes you have to say to people that a leadership role you could see that i think this would stress you out too much you know i'm, I'm not sure that i think you alluded to it earlier that, that for, for teachers you know who are great classroom teachers they don't necessarily transfer into middle leadership quite so easily largely because they have to you know cut back on the teaching side which they suddenly just realize is, is the thing that they really love but also you get people who plan so meticulously that when you are a middle leader, you have to plan a bit more quickly. Um, and, you know, it's not to say that you're reducing the quality of your teaching, but you have to be comfortable that you're not going to absolutely flawlessly do everything all the time because you've got different responsibilities, different things going on. So knowing that, I, I, the first time I got interested in the leadership post, I did ask somebody you know, who's the director of studies, like, what, how do I prepare for this? What do I do? And I was told, oh, just watch what other people do. And it was really kind of useless, nebulous advice. It was kind of, I needed someone to sit down with me and say, right, this is my day. This is what I do. When I come in first thing in the morning, this is what it's like. Or say, like last week, let's look through my calendar and I'll go through every day and I'll talk you through it and the pressures I was under and the work I had to take home with me and, and the problems that came up and how I solved them. And if I'd had that inside knowledge of what the, the roles looked like, I'd have been so much better prepared for it. So I do offer that to my staff as well. So if they want a bit of mentoring, they want to sit down, you know, and, and talk for a couple of hours about the bigger picture or get an insight into what I do, I'm happy to share that with them. Sometimes I might not be able to give them the, the fine detail of it, but I can talk them through generally through some of the, the pressures that crop up during a day to let them know if they're on the right path. Um, not everyone is going to be cut out for a leadership role or, or whatever else. And 
the other thing I, I would advise too is if people are thinking that if, if you want to go into deputy headship or headship, try and get a mix of roles. Again, it comes back to doing the things that you're not necessarily strong at. I do think that I benefited not uh, through forward planning, but just almost um, more accident than design from having had roles that were academic, pastoral, and co-curricular. So it meant that when you end up in a whole school position, then you've got that, you can move between the different areas of school life more easily. I see a lot of people that come up and say they're like, they've been a head of department and they know the curriculum and they know assessment and they go up that way, but they suddenly discover it at a depth to head level and they're having to deal with difficult parents because it's a pastoral problem. They feel like they're depth because it's not something they've ever really focused on. So try and get that breadth of experience too. Yeah, and it comes back to that that networking side of it again, mm. doesn't it? Because if you've got those people you can talk to, then you could then you can find out about it as well. And it's definitely something about not just staying in your lane, mm. having that sort of peripheral vision and, 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 and being able to see what it's like for others. I know a, a, an absolutely cracking raising standards lead in a school, you know, top 1% school in the country, who he's now going into looking at teaching and learning because he wants to make sure that look, I can do raising standards, but I also don't want to just be raising standards. I want to show what I can do at teaching and learning. And, and to do that, I need to run with that role and have other people see it. And also you can only learn about it to that depth when you're doing it as well. Um, and so, uh, Charlotte, I would I was going to bring you in now, if I may, because it's great to have you here. And I know that um, in addition to being a cracking teacher uh, at history, same subject as Robin, I'm sure you'd have loads to talk about. <laughs> there are different things that you've done in addition to your teaching role as well that have had that added that breadth and added those opportunities so you see different aspects at the same time so i thought i'd bring you in with regards to, to joining us on this session because i know that you've got some uh, reflections and questions oh thank you sorry i couldn't figure out how to unmute myself then uh, yeah i have so um i've been in teaching five years now and just like rhiannon uh, i'm kind of at that start bit where i'm really committed to the one school and I feel like that that's that's what it's about. You get committed, you get really into it. Um, so, yeah, I've been developing my teaching uh, quite a lot uh, in the past uh, five years. In the past two years, I think that um, that my teaching has really, really changed a lot because of all the educational research that I've been looking at. Um, and it's it's really um, it's been quite transformative. Um, which is I think one of the reasons I, I don't want to um, insult you Robin but one of the reasons why I, I'm on this panel I think mm. is because of uh, how much Kate's work has influenced what I've been doing in terms of yeah, good um, and that's been really really helpful but uh, in my teaching career so far I've done things like we have in Greenshaw director of fun so more of a pastoral role where uh, we look at student and house competitions, but also staff rewards and well-being. Uh, most recently, I am the Excellence Pathway Coordinator. So that's looking more at raising standards of our highest attaining students, um, but kind of links pastoral and links careers and links loads of different things together. But I don't know if Rihanna knows this, that I have recently uh, got a new position. Yeah, so um, I think this is quite quite relevant for this. So um, I am going to be in September the Associate Assistant Head Teacher for Raising Standards here at Five Acres. I know, thank you, thank you. So, um, that's 
your book was really helpful because I was putting my letter together over the Easter holidays, not the Easter holidays, the half term just gone. And um, it's really helpful looking at all of the information about what to actually include in my letter and an internal application. Mm -hmm. So it just weirdly, this book club and this application all came at the same time. Um, what really I tried to process when I was, was looking at it was, is this a role I really want? Uh, and I think that's what you go really go through this idea of um, thinking carefully because you want to authentically apply for a job role in your school. You don't want it to just be throwing your hat in uh, to say, well, I kind of want to progress. Um, and that's what I've been trying to do recently in my career is think about because I've had lots of these different roles is what do I actually want? What am I really interested in? Uh, I love the teaching and I just want to really improve teaching so it's this idea of of how to do that so um i just want to know if and you've kind of gone through it a little bit but what would you do if you were in my position and you had and you were in a school and you knew that the position was starting in september and i imagine craig might be in a similar similar situation to me this idea of uh, how would you best prepare in this last term for that new position coming up Wow, that's a great question, and, and congratulations, by the way. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> it's uh, we, we talk quite a lot in the book about kind of the first five years is is the tough bit, and you get through that, um, then you know you can stay in teaching a long time. But we lose far too many teachers before that that five year mark. So you know you're obviously taking on challenges and thriving, and and that's really impressive. So so well done. Um, so great question. How do you prepare for going into that role, the transition? I think you need to have. Oh, sorry, I've got a little. Uh, <laughs> I do have, as I said, small children. So <laughs> this kind of a Craig Barton moment. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Oh, you two. You're, you're, uh, you're home. Hello. What have you got? You got a plaster. I'm also home. Sorry, we're doing my emergency first aid here with the sounds of it. So um, I'll try and batter on. <laughs> um, so the, the effective transition is really important. Are you taking on a new role or is there somebody already in that role? There is someone. My first question. So I think if you can have a good handover with them, have a look at, uh, you know, get some advice from them. What would they do with the role if they were going to carry on doing it? And what would they plan to do with it if they were going to stay in that post would be really significant. And then actually, in some ways, a bit like retrieval, forgetting is quite important. So go away for the holidays and for a couple of weeks, don't think about it at all. Um, completely blank your mind and then come back to it and see what has percolated in the time that you've done the handover, you've done the transition bit and you know you've, you've kind of taken over the paper had a bit of a briefing and then start to think about what is you want to do with it and then that of course comes back to the professional network side of it is there anyone you can talk to that's in a similar role elsewhere and, and get some ideas from them you know go beyond the four walls of your own school that would certainly help and then try and think about what you want to achieve um, certainly in the first term and what kind of messaging you want to get out when when you first talk to people about this and the role that you've got? If, how are you leading a team of you, or is this a kind of whole school post? A whole school post, yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to be standing up on that, you know, inset day, and you come back in the summer and you're talking to everybody, I don't know if that's something that you need to do. But you know, what do you want to say to them? Or if it's a first all staff email, what's going to go into that? Um, I think establishing your your principles. Could be really important and people talk a lot about vision i actually don't 
I think it's a bit overrated. It's probably not the right thing to say. I know it's probably um, uh, everyone talks about. But in some ways, I'm, I, I put a lot more emphasis on sort of culture and identity, and, and you know, what's the culture you want the staff to take on as you, you know, kind of progress in, in your leadership of the role. What is it you're trying to achieve, and how are you going to get people to buy into that working culture? You can throw them a nice big vision, but it, it can perhaps not mean anything. So I'm always more interested to see people who can talk about tangible things that are building a culture and getting people on board. I make it sound really attractive. You know, how, how do you get people to naturally gravitate towards what it is you're trying to do? Um, what, what is going to land well? And in that sense, if you are going to be making some sort of a pitch, try and do it two, three, four days beforehand with a couple of trusted colleagues and say, this is what I'm going to say and get their feedback on it, you know, refine that pitch. I do a, a lot of public speaking. I really enjoy it, but not everybody does. So if, if you're confident to do it, great. But I always rehearse, definitely. The, the ones that matter the most, I will write it a week in advance. I'll rehearse. A, a mate of mine gave me a really good tip. He said he, he writes his speeches a week in advance, and then he practices them in the car when he's driving around by himself. He just talks and goes through it. Um, and I, I, I don't openly talk in the car when I do it, but I'll run through it in my head. Um, and that's where you refine, you refine, you refine, because what you find is that it, it will get shorter and tighter what it is you're going to say. Um, you know, if, if it's a 1500 word bit of text you've got, it will be a thousand by the time you really nailed it. Um, and that also is better because people don't want to sit in the inset day and, and lose focus because they think you're over talking. So get those kind of key messages out and, and make sure that people understand what you're going to bring to the table. And it's much easier for them to connect with what it is you're trying to do. That's uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. And um, I think I think I like that you said that about the vision, because I suppose it's, it depends on how it's framed. But sometimes the vision can be quite difficult, as in what does it mean? So what? It's, yeah. it's some lovely words that mean something beautiful written on a page. But what does that actually look like and, and mean for us? And that can be quite a difficult thing to, to be able to connect with one another. And I really like the fact that you mentioned there to make sure you have a break over the summer. I made the mm. biggest rookie error when I became a middle leader for the first time. I worked my socks off all summer and I thought everybody else is missing a trick here. Look at me, yeah. I've done an extra six weeks work. I was absolutely shattered when I started. Yeah. And then I realized why it is that people have a few weeks off over the summer. And I did things like I do all my work before the summer. And then when it comes to September, I forget what I have and haven't done. So I double up. And it's just it's just about finding that groove that's right for you. But that's some absolutely brilliant advice there. And thank you so much. And we are coming to the last few minutes of the of the session. So I'll see if I can help to support Charlotte because she's been on her mobile phone to be able to bring her back in. And while I do that, Dave, I know that you like to kickstart the takeaways. And then if we go round to Craig and hopefully I'll be able to bring Charlotte back in in time for hers as well. Oh, fantastic. If not, I've got plenty um, that I've taken away from this session today. Um, first of all, what a dream head teacher to have. Um, I've got to say, Robin, like the idea of just being able to, to approach you and get that advice, um, know that I'm going to get that honest conversation, but know I'm going to get something that's going to help me to improve is just what you want, isn't it? And um, and so so that's been um, something that, that I take away, because if I'm sort of listening to that and hungry for that, then then I need to be sort of giving that as well in, in any place where, where I can, maybe to my students or, or within my role. Um, the power of rehearsal, I think, is coming out here as well. We've talked about rehearsal in previous sessions and, um, and that idea of... Um, of making sure that that you you practiced what you are going to do in every aspect of of, of what you do, like we were talking about the parent uh, parental conversations um, 
before and and we I've, I've changed what I, I call it now rehearsal rather than role play because um so the conversation we've had previously where um I think it was Doug Lemoff that said and 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 the idea of, of rehearsing and practicing it's not you're not putting yourself into a scenario you're just making sure you're ready for for when that um situation comes about um when you talked about building a network um in the book you've got specific advice on how to do it and it's just those small action steps again that I can take and I can um, look at my social media and think about how I'm going to get um, a balance of followers, a diverse range. Um, I'm going to be able to follow the educational news at the same time as, um, as, as sort of, um, of of having followers that are inside the classroom and outside the classroom. Those little bits of advice just help me to to really know how to build that network. Because again, I'm hungry to build a network now. How am I going to do it? And it, again, it's all in the book there for us. And um, and and the um, and just one thing that I didn't, and I really regret not saying it when I went through previously, but the first thing um, that's mentioned when we talk about the non-leadership career progression is being the best teacher you can be. And it's there at the front as that most important non-leadership career progression. You are progressing when you become an excellent teacher and when you improve your practice. And, and I just thought that it's wonderful that that's at the front and, and the way that's acknowledged, recognised, but also a really important factor within that chapter too. And so there were just a few things that I've sort of taken away um, I don't know um, whether whether it's worth sort of handing over to um, to Craig to, to talk um, a little bit more about sort of what your um, sort of thoughts have been um, on the session so far. Yeah, oh, so many. I mean, I think first and foremost, I I, I want to thank you, and I know that whenever I um, am in a position where I might be applying for for any roles, I'll certainly be revisiting um, these chapters just to re-familiarise myself um, with all the great points in it. Um, I think for me, uh, I tried to narrow it down to four. I thought I can't talk forever. Um, so uh, the bits that I picked up on first, that professional learning, uh, like I said already, I'm going to purposely go away tonight and, and find a book, which is something which is perhaps my my the weakest area with regards to school leadership. Um, secondly, I think it's so important actually really trying to develop and keep building on that professional network. And, and you spoke so eloquently about how that's really supported you in, and how you've been able to support so many other people um, from, from building up that that base. And I think from that professional network, particularly around people who perhaps don't know you or haven't worked with you, um, you get very much more perhaps unbiased um, uh, a bit of feedback potentially there. So I think that's what I'm really going to look to do. Um, for my new role in September, you know, uh, it's that rehearsal and that actually making sure that I, I really spent time uh, thinking about and practicing and rehearsing those um those uh, inset days, those introductions to staff, and actually, you know, when having those sorts of meetings. And finally, I, I thought, you know, just something that I've reflected on that you said that perhaps you don't, you, I've never considered it before in, in the way you spoke through it, but actually, when giving people um, the feedback after a job when the news isn't the news that they want, and actually really thinking about, um, you know, keep in touch. Uh, let me know if there's anything I can I can do to support any advice I can give you moving forward to, to again build that professional network, but also, you know that that person who, like you said, was right for the job, but they just they've missed out because somebody perhaps interviewed better at the time. Uh, by doing that, you're gonna if there, there is a, another similar role or there's something that actually is available that they might be interested in moving forward, you're you're enabling to think that, that door is open and, and you don't perhaps miss out on that great candidate another time because next time they might well be the, the best candidate and interview the, the, the best as well so uh, those are the four but at the same time like I said if ever I'm um, in a position where I'm applying I, I'm 
rereading this. If anyone ever asked me for advice, I'm. I would, I would say. Well, if anyone ever asks him for advice, <laughs> yeah. what, what's he going to say, Robin? He's on, left on, on that a bombshell. Oh, no. I, I think Jill Berry's book is fantastic. <laughs> <mention> Sorry. It. <laughs> um, <laughs> quite all right. Um, I was just, just it me out right at the wrong time, didn't it? Jill Berry's book on on making the leap is fantastic. It was the first book I read that I think was was very kind of focused on the, the specifics of careers. So it was something that we definitely had in mind when we were writing the book. And I think it's really interesting hearing all the points that you've picked on, up on from the, the conversation today. I think networking is the the thing that, as I mentioned earlier, I found toughest. And I think it's so easy now because of Twitter and LinkedIn to do it. It's much you you can connect with anyone around the teaching world, and that's great. So I would say there, just make sure that you've got good kind of outward facing, um, you know, digital platforms that you use. Whichever one you use, it's fine. Uh, I keep personally Facebook and Instagram for uh, my personal stuff and people I know in real life and, you know, other people can't see what goes on there. Um, um, where they are any of that, given that I've just had my children come around here, but I try and keep a personal life and a professional life very separate. And, um, you know, I use Twitter and LinkedIn knowing that it's outward facing and that it's not about my personal life, it's about my professional life and that I like to see, um, you know, people having a positive digital footprint because I think that's really important that we as teachers are able to to teach our children how to exist in that space and, and how to role model it really well. Unfortunately, yeah, there's a lot of nonsense on Twitter. It's a real shame to see people behaving quite an unprofessional way that's not in line with the teaching standards, if we're being perfectly honest. But um, it's not hard. So, you know, just just be as play online as you would be in person. Really kind of simple. But it's so easy just to, to follow people, connect with them, send them direct messages, ask them for a little bit of help. You can build up that way. Go to things like, you know, Research Ed or Women Ed, whatever, whatever you're interested in. Meet people then or connect with them. It, it makes it so much easier to build up that professional network that will support you in, in what it is that you're trying to do and hopefully you know keep you keep your morale up um having a really okay that's how kate and i got to know each other and um, was simply a few years ago on twitter we happened to end up chatting about liking the same bookshop that's how that came about um you know and we didn't actually meet each other for a couple of years but we knew each other through twitter so that's the kind of thing that wasn't available when i started teaching and i wish it was but it's just quite simple to do uh, that's that's amazing. Thank you so much. And you segued beautifully from where Craig stopped there as well, Robin. Professional uh, <laughs> to the to to the end. And it is it is actually as as, as we're doing that, it, it feels just right and proper to for me to say that. So I was very fortunate. Sean Delahoy, who I worked with at the Greenshaw Learning Trust, I also worked with in in my previous role. And he said you should really get on Twitter. You know, you should get on Twitter. There's mm. so much out there. And I dipped my toe in the water and I was a bit frightened of it. Um, and then, but because of some of the work that I was doing and then it, with the book club, that's where the networking came from. And just, as you say, just just be, hopefully, as much as possible, just be nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, be, be one of those people people want to interact with. And I've made some incredible networks and connections with people on Twitter that would not have been possible in real life. I, I have three children at home. It's, you know, I live in quite a rural location. Just getting out to these places like Research Ed wouldn't have been a possibility for me beforehand. But now I know people I'm going to see there that I've met virtually. It's so very different and so very much more open. Mm. And and I definitely will be uh, taking Charlotte's advice because it worked for her as well, didn't it? And what you were saying, Craig, and and also what you mentioned, Robin, is 
is having another look when I'm applying for my next job and also keeping it up to date, not leaving it 10 years between you, you, you dust off that, that cover and you start writing that letter again because too much time has passed and you forget everything you've done in between. So yeah, and Charlotte sends her apologies. She's so sorry her battery has gone down quite low and it won't let her come back in because her battery's too low. And she was she was so looking forward to this session. But what I will do is I'll take her notes from her takeaway and add them as a text to the link um, for this video as well. So she's able, she's able to be included on that one. So thank you all so much for this afternoon. It has been brilliant. We are at three minutes past six and I'm so very, very sorry for that. But it's it's absolutely cracking and i i could just talk to you all for hours but i know that your time is precious so a huge thank you from me and i know dave would like to say a, a thank you as well before you go and yeah oh yeah just a massive massive thank you for giving up your time um for us today for us to be able to reflect for us to be able to um to get that a little bit better at what we do to understand it a little bit better um to know where to look for that information as well. I think that's been the key for me today is that I've got all of these ideas, all of these things that I want to do. Um, and quite often, um, if something doesn't happen, it's because I'm not quite sure where to look. And this book just puts so many of those ideas all in one place. And and, and just a massive thank you for writing it, but, but for spending the time just to talk with us so we can understand it better as well. Um, you've been an absolutely wonderful guest and, and just we feel really, really appreciative. So thank uh, you. So, so thank you for inviting me. It's, it's genuinely always a pleasure to talk about education with other teachers and interested professionals and look, look, best luck with everything you're doing. I think this is a great initiative. It, it honestly is so good. And you know, to Craig and to, to Charlotte as well, if you're listening to Charlotte, if you can hear us, then um, you know, the best luck in your new roles as well. It, fantastic. Yeah, she's got a very exciting opportunity. I, I, I used to do raising standards at that school, so I know just how, how brilliant she will be in it as well. So thank you so much, everybody. And thanks again for your support. I'm going to end the broadcast now. And then I hope you enjoyed the rest of your evening. We'll see you all for our next book club session soon. Take care, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you.